I used to drive downtown every night looking for my wife. The rush hour traffic was across the median, and I traveled the westbound lane of I-99 without delay or impediment. Sure, I was going the wrong way. The city assembled itself, scattered lights in the old skyscrapers meandering the night sky like notes on a staff. What could I have hoped to find there? People didn't just disappear, I thought at the time. They left fingerprints, notes, receipts, echoes. If Molly had walked from her opera rehearsal to the corner deli and had not materialized there or returned, she must have left a residue behind. I expressed this view to the authorities after filing the missing person report at Truda's 10th Precinct Station. It's not always a Hansel and Gretel type situation, you know, said the detective, a fellow named McCready who was apparently on the late shift alone, surrounded by dim idling computers. Crew-cutted and mono-browed, he looked like a man who repaired machinery with his bare hands. He listened to my story and took notes in his pocket pad a mere scribe. On his desk, instead of a family picture, was a grainy photograph of Wittgenstein. The matte frame was inscribed with a misquotation. The case is everything that is the world. MacReady promised to call if anything turned up, but I was in no mood to wait. I set out on my own through the streets, my pockets jammed with plastic evidence bags. I was a student of sidewalks, Tracing Molly's possible steps, in widening circles, I returned each night to the opera house empty-handed, the watchman nodding me in. The night watchman had been the last to see Molly and became a de facto authority on her disappearance, even though he was not that perceptive, as he admitted later in interviews. He seemed hardly to notice me as I went in and out. His good eye browsed in my direction then slumped back into the couch of his cheek. She was projected outward from my mind, a wavering image across the city. I began the nights as a stalker, then faded to a stumbler, a sonambulist. I rounded every corner with the conviction that she was near, but what I found in those deceptive and winding streets was only a series of dispersed apparitions. The curve of her spine in the shadow of a lamppost, the pattern of her freckles in a smattering of plaster dust, and the winking of a broken traffic signal, the green of her eyes. You may not have come across our city, which they used to call halfway to everywhere, which is to say nowhere, stranded in the long and level void between the two coasts. As a lifelong resident, I will tell you right away, it is easy to get lost. Lose yourself in Truda was the tourist board slogan for a while, but it never caught on. It was too apt. Visitors attempting to describe their stay in Truda often resorted to the German term Platzangst. The city father should be blamed for this common feeling, this anxiety that one is trying but failing to cross a vast and endless square. Using Zitter's city planning according to artistic principles as their guide, our patriarchs designed a downtown that still looks beautiful on a map, hailed as the Munich of the Midwest throughout the late 1890s. The 20th century was unkind. 
Grand hotels windowed with cardboard still advertised $10 rooms on their outer walls. Decrepit mansions hung on the boulevards, spattered with graffiti. Money, with its gaseous tendencies to rise and escape, drifted to the suburbs of Sherwood Forest and New Arcadia.